All right. Hey, good morning, guys. Nice to see y'all. Um, man, so um, it's just, yeah, it is a huge privilege to get to be with you and just uh, yeah, an honor to get to serve you. I would have been very happy just to come hang out with you, have some breakfast, um, but man, it's a, it's a joy to get to, to share with you a little bit. Um, so um, I'm gonna just jump right in. I know, we, we, you know we're trying to get done by a certain time, so let me just kind of jump right in and and, and say that, you know, when I, when I think about these moments, I think about uh, all the conversations I've had along the way uh, with different um, guys, um, you know, uh, being, so I'm a pastor of a church in North Carolina. If you guys don't know me, uh, it's actually, we celebrate 15 years um, of a church this weekend. And so, um, yeah, we've been, we've been going for the last 15 years, uh, started this church in my hometown in North Carolina. Um, it's a small, like, island town. Um, I, I, you, you may not know where North Carolina is. That's okay. Um, Americans are worse at geography than any other uh, people on the planet. So you get a pass if you don't know where North Carolina is. But just, just to give you a bit of context, so if you look on the eastern coast of America, if you, a lot of people know where New York is, and then people know where Florida is. We're in the middle of that, and we're right on the ocean. Um, and my, my town is at the bottom of a chain of islands called the Outer Banks. Um, and which most people have only heard of because of some stupid show that I've never seen. Um, but uh, anyway, um, we have got, um, you know, and I'll, I'll get to this in a minute, but you know, I grew up there, I'm from there, and I, I thought I knew what it was to be a good man, but my idea of masculinity was really shaped around hobbies and work and those kinds of things. And so I've seen that. I've seen that like, I feel like um, most guys I meet, uh, most men I meet and spend time with um, they, they lack vision for what it means to be a good man. Um, we lack vision for what it means to be a good man. And um, I think this comes, uh, this comes to us honest. It's a phrase we have back in America. I don't know if you guys say it here. Um, it means it's like, we, you know, we, were, we grew up with it. We were, it was passed down to us. Um, I think that what we, when we think about what it means to be a good man, we think about what we want to be, not who we want to be. When we think about like, what does it mean to be a good man? What is, what is a man? I think a lot of times what we think about is what we wanna be, not who we wanna be. What we do, not who we are. Um, this is a question that a lot of, a lot of kids, you know, a, lot of, a lot of boys get asked this question. You may have been asked this question. Um, you may be younger if you are. I'm really glad you're here. Um, I would encourage you men that um, the next time you do a gathering like this, all of you who have sons, bring them. Um, we bring, I bring my kids, my boys are 12 and nine. I bring them to stuff like this. Um, yeah, there's a chance they'll hear some stuff that's not relevant, but there's a, a much bigger chance they're gonna catch something being around a bunch of men like this. Um, but if you're here and, and you're younger, you, you, know, you would have probably heard this. You may be hearing this all the time, which is, uh, you know, what, do you, what, do you wanna, what do you wanna be when you grow up? This is like a big question guys get asked. What do you wanna be when you grow up? Um, and, and what that really means is, what do you want to do? And so from childhood, we are taught to think about occupation as our identity. What do you want to be when you grow up? Effectively, what do you want to do? Like, that's the, that's the driving question, right? And so what that means is we as children are being shaped to think that our identity, our primary identity in life is our occupation. It's our occupation. Um, but, you know, what you learn is that along the way is that who you are matters a whole lot more than what you do. Who you are matters a whole lot more than what you do. Um, you can be a blessing 
in almost every field of work, okay? I, I say almost every field. I mean, I wanna say every field, but if you're a drug dealer, like that's, that's pretty irredeemable, you know? Like, but in, in most professions, you can be a blessing. And in every, you know, in every field of work, you could also be a monster. You could be a blessing or you could be a monster in, in any field of work, right? You can be, and we've, we've seen this now across evangelical culture, you know, especially coming out of our country, man, so many of the guys that I grew up looking up to turned out to be monsters, absolute monsters, like, like predators, like terrible, terrible guys, right? You, you, can, you can be a blessing or a monster in any field of work. And so, so really the biggest question is not like, what do you want to do? It's who do you want to be? And so the question you know, the charge I want, I want to kind of put to you, at, you know, for, for this morning is, what does it mean to be a good man? What does it mean? And we're not going to say everything that could be said this morning. Don't worry. I know how much time I have. And, and, and you've got lots of other opportunities, right? You've got all the ones that were just previously mentioned. Take advantage of all of them. But hopefully I can add to this conversation and help frame for you guys a bit more. What does it mean to be a good man? Uh, there's an old uh, phrase, you know, you want to start with the end in mind. And that's a good way to think about this too, is who do you want to be remembered as when you die? Like, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? You know, what, what kinds of things do, do, are people going to say in that moment? Will people even be there? Like, what, what will those relationships be like, right? And, and who you are today, does who you are today, does it make sense in light of that day? Like if, if like you want people to remember you a certain way at the end, does right now make sense in light of that? What kind of man do you want to be? If you don't know, brothers, if you don't know what kind of man you wanna be, you are just floating along. You're just, you're just drifting wherever your sin or wherever culture wants you to go. That's what you're doing. If you don't know what kind of man you wanna be, you are adrift. You are floating, you are drifting, you are just being carried along by, by the winds and waves of your sin nature and by this culture that we live in. Um, Proverbs 29, 18 uh, uh, says this, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And I think that that's like such a pivotal passage when we think about this stuff because, because there's a big difference between like what, what the Bible calls a prophetic vision or like a God-sized vision for your life and what, and what other visions might be, like cultural visions for, for masculinity, right? Um, we have plenty of cultural vision for what it means to be a good man. We, we, a good man has a good paying job, you know, makes a lot of money, you know, like is really respected like in his work. That's a good man, you know? In fact, um, uh, uh, I, I, I myself dealt with this with my uh, now father-in-law. Um, he really, really, really didn't want me to marry his daughter. And the primary reason was I didn't make enough money as a pastor. Uh, he actually said to me at one point, he said, um, man, he said, we always thought Jill was gonna marry a doctor. And let's just face it, you're not a doctor. And I said, well, I'm a love doctor. You know, does that count? Does that count, you know? We know culturally, oh, a good man is a good job. Oh, he's a good, look at that. He's like such a great man. Look at that good job. Big, big house, 
maybe even a family that might be. Now, now, now that is shifting, right? Uh, especially in more urban centers, you know, like we are, we are removing, you know, kind of like uh, responsibility as, as something that's seen as valuable for men, you know? And so like, you don't necessarily, but like, you know, in, in a lot of cultures still today, there is this, oh, you have a wife, you have a kid, you have some kids. Oh, you're, yeah, that's right. You're ticking the boxes, you know? Um, maybe a dog, you know, like definitely a dog and throw a dog in there. Like that, that's a good, that's a good thing to have. Um, Ryan's got a cat. Um, and so, I mean, that, that, I'm just putting that before you brothers. There's a cat <laughs> in his home. Uh, in fact, the other morning, it was three o'clock in the morning. I'm dealing with, well, one, I have like brutal insomnia already, but then the jet lag has been a crusher on this trip. And it was like three in the morning and I went in the bathroom to use the bathroom and I was like standing there like this and he's got a window right in front of his toilet, you know, and it's 3 a.m. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, use the restroom and this flipping cat jumps through the window into the dark and it's like, meow, like jumps on, like jumps at me. Well, so this, this is what I've been enduring um, to be in your country. Um, so a house, a job, a family, a dog, some hobbies, Hey, I've got all those, you know, I, so where I live, we hunt a lot. Um, you know, so we, we do a lot of hunting, I bow hunt, I gun hunt, we do all that stuff. Um, I also, I spearfish. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm out like floating in the ocean. We're shooting tuna and wahoo and we're fighting sharks and we're doing all that stuff. I've got tattoos, I've got a beard. Oh man, I must be a good man, right? That has nothing to do with being a good man. Like nothing to do with it. Like all the stuff I just described, has nothing to do with being a good man. You could have all that stuff and not be a good man. So we have these cultural visions, right? Another challenge we've got is that we, we, I think too many of us are more captivated by what we don't want than what we do want. I don't wanna be like that. I don't wanna be like my dad. I don't wanna be like my stepdad. I don't wanna be like that guy, right? And, and, and that is not enough. That is not enough. Again, this whole toxic masculinity, the only thing we know is what we don't wanna be. But there's no sense of de like definition around what we do wanna be, right? So, so maybe we, we lack a, a, a vision of what it means to be a good man because we just don't know, or maybe we're disillusioned, but either way, we're lacking this vision. And that means scripturally, it tells us that we cast off restraint, which is a way of saying we cut the anchor line and we just drift. So you don't know in, like in God what, you, what it means to be a good man or you're disillusioned by all the, all the toxic masculinity stuff you don't want. And so you just cut the line and you just, you just drift. You just float. And your sin nature is happy to carry you along like a current and culture is happy to carry you along like a current. And so my hope this morning is I can encourage you. And I, I really mean that. I'm passionate, but I'm not yelling at you. I want to encourage you. Men don't need to be yelled at. Culture is yelling at you plenty. You, I think you need to be encouraged. And so I hope this morning I can encourage you with a vision. Um, lastly, just by way of introduction, and I will move it along, but we, you know, and we, because we, we kind of alluded to this already, um, you know, in, in the guys who came up before me, but our culture is moving more and more egalitarian, essentially eradicating any role for men. But we've got Bible verses like 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where Paul says, be watchful, which is like a direct, it's like, it's what men did to stand on walls, to watch in the dark, to make sure that like enemy soldiers didn't come and like kill the whole village. So he says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. 
be strong. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. When Paul said this, he wasn't demeaning women. In fact, scripture is, it was like, you know, the New Testament is where, is where we saw like the, the most amazing like, you know, uh, like defense of, of like how to honor women and, and, and celebrate women, right? So that he, never you'll see women like being demeaned, but Paul was saying something, he's saying, men, you're needed. And so act like it, act like you're needed. That's what I want to say to you guys. You are needed, so act like it. We need women, but we, but we need men, and we need men to be good men. And there is a ridiculous amount of potential in this room. This room represents like the whole of society. There, there's, there's all kinds of occupations. There's various schools. There's neighborhoods. There's all kinds of hobbies. There's so much influence in this room if you guys were to get a hold of this, Right? And so let me try to help paint a, a picture, just some of the big ideas. Some of these you might be crushing it at. That's awesome. That means you get to strengthen others. Some of these you might be weak at. That means you need to lean on others. Um, and so we're, we're gonna dive in here. I'm gonna read quickly a passage and you just take a few minutes to explain it. Galatians chapter six, verse one through 10. Paul says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let, let, um, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of faith. Four things we're gonna pull out of this to help paint a picture for what it means to be a good man. Help give us vision for what it means to be a good man. Firstly, good men take responsibility for themselves. That's the first thing, is that if you wanna know what does it mean to be a good man, the first thing I would say is that good men take responsibility for themselves. You can't help someone else and, and, until you've taken responsibility for yourself. This, this, this could also kind of be known in our, in our cultural moment as self-awareness, right? It's, it's getting a sense of awareness about yourself, your weaknesses, your strengths, and paying attention to that, taking responsibility for that. You know, he says in verse three, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And brothers, that is like not, that is, that is not, that is not a passage to just gloss over. That is one to underline, highlight, circle, and star because self-deception is a killer. It is a killer. Each will have to bear his own load. He, he's, he's saying that he's not advocating for some kind of like spiritual codependency here. He's saying, hey, take responsibility for yourself. That word load there is different than the, than the word uh, burden, which we'll pick up in just a minute. That word load is, is essentially, it's a backpack. He's saying, you've got to carry your own backpack. You know, like, like a, a, a good man is not like, oh, I can't. I can't care. Can you, can you help me? Can you do that? Can you do that for me? Can you do that for me? Like you, you can't take responsibility for yourself. Now there are exceptions when you're wounded. Like we know this, like with soldiers or whatever, like, you know, uh, when, when you're wounded, when, when you're injured, 
You need help. You need someone to get up underneath you to, to help carry you. We'll get to that one in just a minute, but like day-to-day -day responsibility, take responsibility for yourself. What does that even mean? Well, here's just three areas you can take responsibility in. The first one, you take responsibility for your own walk with the Lord. Wanna be a good man, take responsibility for your own walk with the Lord. He says in verse one, you who are spiritual, restore them. So are you spiritual? What does that even mean? You pray with like big words, you know, like you, like what does it mean to be spiritual? You go to church a lot, like what does it mean? You, I think we could boil it down to saying it, it means someone who knows how to follow Jesus, who knows how to live and walk according to the Holy Spirit. Like when I was growing up, I remember these guys in our church who would always wear these like Christian t-shirts. And it was like, I don't know if these made it to South Africa, but like the one that I remember was like Lord's Gym. And it was like Jesus like bench pressing the cross and he was just like veins everywhere. And like, you know, like I remember thinking like, oh, those guys, those guys really love God. Like, cause they wear like a Christian t-shirt. You know, like what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean? Hebrews five lays out, you know, heading into, into Hebrews six lays out this like, really kind of like offensive picture. He says, some of you guys ought, you know, ought to be teachers, but we got to start over with you because you're still on milk. What's he saying? He says, you're an adult that needs to breastfeed. That is a, that is a really terrible picture. And the preacher in Hebrews says, hey, this is not okay. And yet we've normalized it in Christianity where you can go to church for decades and not know how to take responsibility for yourself in your own walk with the Lord. You are just essentially breastfeeding. You come to church to like get some milk. You go to a community group to get some milk, but you don't know how to feed yourself. Guys, you can take responsibility for this. And there's men in the room who wanna help you, help you learn how to read the word, help you learn how to, you know, to, to, to follow the, the Holy Spirit's leading, right? Uh, the second thing is take responsibility for your own fight with sin. We've heard a bunch about that already, but let me just kind of, just, just verse two, he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. And verse seven through eight, he talks about how like a deception is to, um, is to sow to the flesh and think you're gonna reap something different. What are you sowing to? Whatever you, guys, whatever you feed is going to grow. Whatever you starve is going to die. That is just principle. Whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve dies. In Romans 13, Paul says this in verse 14. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and so like, it's like get, get dressed with like Jesus. And I love this little phrase here, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This to me sounds kind of like piratey, like pirates. Uh, where I'm from, uh, there's like a lot of history of pirates. If you've ever heard of Blackbeard the pirate, or if you've seen that Pirates of the Caribbean movie, um, The Queen Anne's Revenge, um, that was Blackbeard's ship that sunk right off our beach. Um, Blackbeard's like, you know, there's a whole bunch of kind of history there. And so I, I gravitate toward this kind of thing just because I'm from there and I've grown up around this kind of thing. But this verse to me sounds kind of like piratey. Uh, there's a, um, you, may, you may have ever, has anyone ever seen the like black pirate flag with the skull and the crossbones? You know what I'm talking about? Is that like a common thing? Okay, so that's called the Jolly Roger. Um, there is another pirate flag though that's, that's not so often known and that is the same flag, but it's red instead of black. So for bonus points, does anybody know what that flag's called? Oh, okay, this one's called the no quarter flag. 
okay? And so the black Jolly Roger flag, they would like raise when they were in battle. It was like this aggressive kind of thing. But when they pulled the black one down and they raised the red one, it took it to another level because what they were essentially saying to the, to the warring party is, we are not going to take any prisoners. We don't care if you've got women, children, elderly, we are going to kill every one of you. There is no, we are offering no quarter. It was like this, like, oh man, this is another thing, right? That was the no quarter flag. And, um, and so that, this passage to me reads like the no quarter flag. Paul says, make no provision for the flesh. Don't give it anything to eat. Don't like, oh, well, you know, we'll, we're gonna keep you tucked away over here and we'll just give you a snack every now and again. And he says, kill it. In fact, I was so gripped by this. I got the, the red no quarter flag tattooed on my chest with this verse like all around it, right? I love this idea that we, we, we don't just like make deals with sin. We wanna, we wanna, we wanna eradicate it. We wanna, we wanna starve it to death. So take responsibility for your own walk with God. Take responsibility for your fight with sin. Another area, brothers, is take responsibility for your personal affairs. For your own personal affairs. Uh, verse four, he says, let each one of you test his own work. And then he'll have reason to boast in himself and not his neighbor. Well, what's he saying here? He's like, hey, take this, this one does kind of fall under a lot of the stuff we might've thought about. I heard about a, a young guy in our church. Um, you know, actually he came to, to, to me a year and a half ago, newly married, super good guy, really gifted, really charismatic, super funny. I, I mean, handsome, good job, like all the stuff, all the markers of success. And he came to me just really vulnerable. Him and his new, new wife, they've been married about, about six months or so. And he said, hey, can, can we just be honest? We were in like a crushing amount of debt. He had never, he had all this other stuff, but no one had ever sat down with him and gone, hey, let's help you learn about personal finances. And so he found himself in just an avalanche of debt. He didn't know basic stuff. He didn't just understand the basic, like get a job, pay the bills, do this, do that, stop doing that, stop doing that. And so, man, um, I, I, I helped him a little bit. I, I, I got him connected with another one of the guys in our church who's a banker, who's really good at this stuff and actually loves helping guys with this stuff. And the guy came to me like a year later. It took like a year. And he, I would check in with him every now and again. He came to me, just tears running down his face. He said, we just did it. We paid off the debt. And I was so proud of him, right? That, that is not, that's not, that is not, not spiritual. That, that is part of this, right? It's, 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 it's taking care of yourself, your own personal affairs. So there's lots more to say on all these things, but that's the big idea. Take responsibility for yourselves. Um, but, but good men don't just act like an island. We don't just focus on ourselves, right? There's a, a responsibility we have to others, Right? And he talks about that. He says, you know, don't let us grow weary of doing good. Like, like if we don't give up, we, like, let's, let's let, you know, we'll reap a harvest. So let's, let's find ways, let's find opportunities to do good to everyone. So the second idea here on being a good man is good men serve and protect those around them. Good men serve and, and, and protect those around them. There, there's this call here to, you know, get around guys who've been caught in sin, not to cover up for them, not to cancel them, but to help restore them. There's a call here to bear one another's burdens. And, and that word burden, like I said earlier, is different than, 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 than load. It's, it's different than backpack. This burden is like a boulder. And some of you men in the room, you, you know, you're not struggling with like your backpack weight. You're being crushed by something. 
It may be a medical diagnosis. It may be you know, a, a, a something significant going on with like a family member. It may be a financial thing. It, it, may, it may be whatever it is, a, a, an addiction, whatever it is. Some of you men are being crushed by a burden. And, and there's this call here, good men help serve and protect those around them. We don't look the other way when someone's being crushed. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan who was a good man compared to these other religious men. And, and, and Jesus tells, he says, look, he didn't look the other way. He, he moved towards the person who needed help. He didn't look away from them. He, he made that person's problem his problem. He got involved. He, 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 he jumped in and helped shoulder the load. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. C.S. Lewis speaking to this says, think of a country where people would be admired for running away in battle. Like, like imagine that, like where, where you got an award for being a coward, where a man, he says, felt proud of double crossing all the people who'd been kindest to him. And he's like, you might as well try to imagine a country where two and two equaled five. Like we know this, we, we, we know that. So I work a lot with first responders, uh, you know, firefighters, law enforcement, all the rest. And I am there on scene, like when there's active shooters, when there's crazy stuff going on, houses burning, like flames everywhere and dudes going in, like going into the fire, going into the firefight. Like I am, I've witnessed it like dozens of times. And there's, when you see it or when you watch the movies, you hear the stories of these soldiers, you're like, oh man, that's a good thing, right? Yes, it is. Good men, we, we, we don't just take care of ourselves. that's point one, but we serve and protect those around us. And man, that is one of the things that, that is being lost in our modern moment. As we have downgraded masculinity, as we've, as we've eradicated what it means to be a good man, we have made the world more vulnerable. As we've like, as we've told men that their strength is actually a weakness, we have made the world more vulnerable. And guys, we, we have got to catch a vision for this not just be carried along by cultural vision, but go, no, there is a God-given role here. Act like men, be strong, be watchful, take responsibility, move towards, like uh, we, we, t- we tell soldiers in America to run to the sound of, a, of the guns. You have to teach people to do that because that's different than human nature. If, if, a, if a gun went off right now, most of us would run away from it. That's, that's I wanna save myself. But actually good men run towards tension. They run towards the pain. They, they run towards the pressure and they go in to serve and protect. So be a good man. Watch out for yourself. Serve and protect those around you. Number three, good men bless and encourage those around them. Paul ends um, this with a blessing. He says in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit brothers. And it wasn't just some one-off thing here in Galatians. In Romans, he does it. In First and Second Corinthians, he does it. In Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians and First and Second Timothy and Titus and Philemon. In every single letter Paul writes, Paul ends with a blessing. Paul ends every single letter in the New Testament with a blessing. He doesn't end it with instructions, right? The last thing that Paul wanted these, these, these guys to hear wasn't do better, try harder. But what he says over and over again is God's grace be with you. And he's just said some hard stuff, but he, he can say hard stuff and he can bless. And, and I think this is one that, that's worth a little bit of a push around because I think so far we're tracking like, yeah, men fight and men budget and men, you know, men, whatever. Like we, so far this is checking out, but then like men bless. 
it, it is just worth acknowledging that it feels feminine to be tender. It feels feminine to be tender. It feels, it feels feminine to be gentle, to, to, to bless. It, it feels weird. Now it's true, women can bless, of course they can, but there's something powerful in scripture, all through the scriptures, when men speak words of blessing, when we bless one another, when we use our words to bless one another. I, um, for my whole kids, my, my two boys, for their whole lives, every night I speak blessing over them. I pray the same prayer over them every night. I, I, I have this little call and response thing I do with them because I, I didn't grow up hearing it. I want my boys to, to hear it. I want there to be a foundation of, their, of them being loved and being blessed. But, but a lot of us guys, we hold back our words. And when we do that, we become like our first father, Adam. If you've ever read the book, The, the Silence of, of Adam, Larry Crabb says this. He says, God had just spoke and brought creation out of chaos. Adam's silence then brought chaos into creation. God uses his words and he, he brings creation out of chaos. And then and Adam's silent and what he allows is chaos to come into this creation. Maybe Adam didn't know what to say in that moment in the garden. Maybe he didn't have the courage to speak. I can certainly empathize with that. I can certainly identify with that, but I don't have to imitate that. I don't have to imitate that. We have a better example. Scripture calls him the, the better Adam, Jesus. And, and as good men, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We use our words to bless. We use our words to speak order into chaos. We use our words to heal. Lastly, uh, the fourth thing I think we can see in this passage is that, so good men, they, they take responsibility for themselves. Good men serve and protect others. Good men bless and encourage others. Lastly, good men surround themselves with other good men. Good men surround themselves with other good men. Paul opens up verse one here. He says, brothers, plural. There's a plurality that's just like apply, implied all throughout the New Testament. In fact, most of the times when you see the word you in the English translation, it's actually plural to use kind of where I'm from. It's actually y'all, right? The you is actually y'all. It, it, it's, mis, it's, mis, it's, um, it's misleading because you read it and, you, and we interpret it through an individualistic Western kind of lens, but almost all the time that you is actually plural. It's actually y'all. It's this implied sense that this thing is going to be worked out like this. That it's not just open Bible, right? This is me, okay, here I go, off do I go. No, 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 no. There is an assumption that there, while I'm taking responsibility for myself, I am working this out in community. And as men, we have lost vision for deep friendship. And I know that there's been a lot in the bacon roll has set in like heavy on you. That little bit of spinach has done nothing to help you in this moment. Like it's the weight, the sheer weight of that roll that like we all ate. I know it's like brought you down. I just can brothers, can you lean in for a few minutes? Cause this one really matters. Can you please lean in with me just for a few minutes? This one might be the one that saves your life. We've lost vision for deep friendship. I read a series of books a few years ago called Lonesome Dove. It's a fiction novels. They're huge, but they're really, they're really amazing. Um, and I was so struck as I read it. I read it just for the cowboy Indian kind of like stuff, but really I think what it's about is male friendship. And I was struck by the friendship displayed in these books between these two men. 
this fierce commitment to, to fight for each other through thick and thin. And I couldn't help but think how rare is that in our day? What we've settled for, Facebook friends or drinking buddies or golf buddies or dudes we watch sport with or just mere acquaintances. We have settled for superficial, we've settled for shallow. And the result is that many, many men are wandering around isolated and distracted. Scripture paints a picture of the enemy we have and says that he is like a roaring lion. Now in my country, that doesn't mean as much, right? But in your country, right, in your continent, there is a, at least you've got some sense of, of, of a parallel here. I know that you know, it's not maybe what's happening you know, on the streets of Cape Town, but like you've got a lot more of a, of a context for this than, than we do. And I remember I, my, one of my first trips to Africa, I was in Botswana and Zambia and, and we were in the bush for like a month. I didn't shower for a whole month, which was kind of awesome. Um, and uh, at night we would have to do L&L watch, Lion and Leopard watch, and we'd stay awake and, and you know, you know, in teams of two, we keep a fire going and man, it was flipping terrifying. You know, like you go to the bathroom and I'm kind of a private person, except, except in this situation. It's like, we'd go together and we'd sit back to back and we would do our business. Like all, all, the, all the like privacy in the world was out the window. I just don't want to get eaten, you know? Like, um, and, and scripture says, that's what our enemy is like. He's like a lion that is roaring, like following around. And what's he looking for? Who's the prime pickings? I reckon it's the one who's wandered off, who's isolated, who's distracted. Philip, it sounds like most men I know. Prime pickings for an enemy that hunts you like a lion. The thing though is, guys, that anything deeper than the superficial and the shallow makes you and me uncomfortable. Bruce alluded to this earlier. Women, they wanna talk about their feelings. Men, we just wanna talk about sport. Anything Anything more than the superficial and the shallow makes you and I uncomfortable. I, I, I came across this book uh, through a friend of mine. It's got the worst title of any book that's ever been written. Literally, here's the title, The Overflowing of Friendship, semicolon, Love Between Men and the Creation of the American Republic. I mean, what a terrible flipping title. <laughs> but in this, there is like this, um, I'm gonna read you a couple of excerpts. Again, you, you, you're still leaning in with me, right? You're gonna slap yourself, wake yourself up. This stuff's really good. It's really important, hey? Okay, so let me just read you a couple of excerpts. And this is from like the 1790s. But this is going to make you uncomfortable and it's gonna get weird and we're all gonna go through it together. Sound good? Okay, so Daniel Webster, uh, this guy ended up being the 14th Secretary of State in America, but he's back in a college called Dartmouth and he's about to go on his Christmas vacation, December 1798. And he, 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 um, he's, you know, uh, the, the author says that he was probably welcoming this sort of reprieve, this break from school. But, but what seemed to have preoccupied his, his mind on the eve of his departure before this break, he says, was the unwelcome prospect of having to spend several weeks apart from his good friend, this guy named George Herbert. So Daniel committed his feelings to paper in the form of a, a poem, Right? He writes a poem to his friend, and this is what he writes, okay? This is a college dude writing to another college dude. Some of you guys are in college. Just tell me, please, after this, if you've ever written a letter like this to another man. Yes, George, I go. I leave the friend I love. Long since t'was written in the books above, but what good God, I leave thee, do I say, these thoughts distract my soul and fill me with dismay. But heaven decreed it, let me not repine. I go, but George, my heart is knit with thine. That's, that's the poem he writes to his friend. 
Neither time nor distance he averred could, quote, tear my heart from the dear friend I love. Should you, quote, be distant as far as Africa's sand by fancy pictured, you be near at hand. This shall console my thoughts till time shall, shall end. Though George be absent, George is still my friend. Despite the consolation of such imaginings, Webster, he says, was convinced that he would, quote, sink into dark despair. He would go into a depression if he hadn't, if he hadn't known that he and his friend would soon be reunited. Roll on the hour, he, he carries on. And he goes on to say, it wasn't just this friend, George, but he says, other friends I leave and it wounds my heart. Uh, can you imagine um, jumping on Instagram uh, or Facebook, and there's a college friend you know, a guy, uh, you know, and, and you see he's posted something new, and you go have a look, and he has written this, uh, this kind of thing about another dude. Like that, like you're supposed, to, you're supposed to acknowledge with me that that would be a little weird, right? That would be not, that would not necessarily like be what we would consider normal. One more quick example, this one between two itinerant ministers, Methodist ministers uh, in our country, they would ride on horseback and they would, they just filled the South with these churches. And, um, and so th this is just another, this is quicker, just a little excerpt from this book. It says these two guys, um, uh, Mead and Cobbler, it says, despite their physical separation, they remained, quote, united in faith and love. They sustained each other through prayer and correspondence. They wrote letters to each other. We didn't have Facebook back then. They didn't have cell phones. All they could do was write letters and mail those letters to each other. Listen to these letters. So one of them, uh, this guy named Mead, he wrote this to his friend. He says, how are you, my dear? I am daily with you in spirit. Uh, these two men uh, wrote long and effusive letters to one another as they each labored to awaken the Southern souls. And in one of these letters, Meade expressed his feelings to Cobbler in the form of a, oh, you guessed it, a poem. These guys were writing a lot of poems, right? This is, this is the poem he writes. Although we ride so far apart, I love you in my very heart. I've often thought if I could be a pattern as in you, I see it often feel God's spirit beam and catch a hold of the living stream. Oh, could I see your solemn face? I'd take you in my arms embrace. This is a dude writing to another dude, right? And it wasn't so long ago, this was normal. Soldiers, students, preachers, deep affectionate friendships for one another. Um, we also see models of a really close friendship in the scriptures. You obviously have Ruth and Naomi. You know, don't, uh, you know, Ruth says, don't urge me to leave or return from following you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. May the Lord do to me more also if, there's, if anything but death parts me from you. It feels like that kind of thing, right? You know, Naomi committed to Ruth. Ruth committed to Naomi to the end. Here's the thing, brothers. We don't see any problem with that between women. Women get to talk like this to each other. Women get to have friendship with one another. Women sometimes even hold each other's hands or they'll like rub each other's leg while they're sitting together. Like they have to sit close. They have to play with each other's hair. They have to kind of, it's like, it's totally normal. We have no issue with it. Movies, songs, culture, all of this says, sounds great. Women, you get to be friends like that. Bible verses like Ruth and Naomi, no one's going, what's really going on between Ruth and Naomi? <laughs> no one's asking the question. Let's read this passage, 1 Samuel 18. As soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and he loved him as his own soul. Made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Fast forward in the story, they, they find each other. They had been, 
This is a crazy story. They, they get reunited and, and they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. We don't know what to do with that kind of stuff. Men, men, men be knitted together with heart. We cannot process two men being such good friends. And so what do we do with it? Well, some assume it must've been romantic. It must be romantic. There's no way two dudes could be such good friends. There's no way two dudes could care about each other this way. It must be romantic. But David, this man in this story, was at his very best when he was surrounded by his friends. And as soon as he got alone, he was a monster. He was a monster. He took, a, he took his friend's wife and, and slept with her. A whole bunch of mess around that. The power dynamics involved in that. Had her husband killed. Like brought pain and shame to his nation. He was alone for like five minutes and he ruined everything. He was at his best when he was surrounded by his friends. He was at his worst when he was alone. And way too many of us brothers are, are isolated, even though I think most of us are surrounded by others. Proverbs 18 says this, a man of many companions may come to ruin. A man of many companions may come to ruin. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but, but, but if you just have companions, you're, you're, you're gonna destroy your life. And a lot, of us, a lot of us men, we don't have true friends, we just have companions. We just have true companions or we just have companions and it's an insufficient substitute. I don't wanna bore you with all the statistics from America, but I, I've been to South Africa enough to know that I don't think the differences are as, as much as we may think sometimes. So maybe these statistics are, 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 are closer to your home than, you know, than, than farther away. In 1990, over half the men in America reported they had six or more close male friends in 1990. Fast forward to 2021, 15% of men in America reported having zero male friends. 33% said they had two or less. That's how much culture has shifted. Just in, just in that amount of time. And in 2022, men surveyed reported, quote, receiving emotional support, listen to this, from a male friend half as often as women receive from their female friends. Yeah, we've got, you know, women are in trouble too, but the difference is we've always culturally normalized women being close and we've always sexualized men being close. And it's, it's to our detriment. It's to our detriment. We don't go deep with one another. We don't get vulnerable with one another. We aren't tender towards one another. We don't use our words to bless one another. And it's to our detriment. I had a, a guy come up to me one time after speaking to something. He said, he, cause I asked him, I said, how are you doing? And he just broke. He said, I've been in ministry 47 years and no one's ever asked me, how am I, how am I doing? We just, we just, we've just blown it when it comes to this. So guys, as, as I close this here, let me just, just say, we need to put an end to this kind of thing. Uh, we, we need to just admit we need each other. We need male friendship. Scripture calls them brothers born for adversity. We need the wise, earnest counsel of our brothers. We need brothers who will look us in the face and say, I love you, but we're about to have a hard chat. I've been around you enough. I've been in your life enough. There's some stuff I want to, I just want to help call your attention to you. There's some stuff here that needs to change. It's for your good. It's for the good of others around you. We need brothers who will help carry our crushing burdens 
brothers who will bless us and point us to Jesus. My encouragement to you guys is that you keep doing this. And not just this, this is fun, this is great, but you keep doing this. You keep fighting for each other. You keep in, in small groups and in big groups and in all kinds of ways. First Thessalonians 5, encourage one another and build one another up. Man, there is a lot against you culturally, not to mention your own sin nature. Man, you need each other. We need each other if we're gonna be good men. Encourage one another, build one another up. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for these men. Bless them. Every one of us in the room um, is maybe more aware in this moment of areas where we are weak than areas when we are strong. I pray, Lord, for you to encourage by your Holy Spirit the men in this room. Even if everything else <laughs> needs to change, God, encourage them that they, they took the gap to be here today. They could have done other things and they didn't. They chose to be here today. God, we, we honor and bless that step. If that, even if that's the first step some of the men in the room have taken, God, we, we honor and bless it. God, encourage them. Encourage them. Lord, the enemy is, is so good and our culture is so good. It's shown us all the areas where we're weak, where we're lacking, where we're falling short. I pray in this moment, God, would you encourage the men in the room with areas where they are strong, where by your grace, they have taken some ground. They do have something to offer. They do have something to give. And Lord, by your spirit, would you help identify the areas where we do need to grow? We need to grow up. We, we, we need to act like men. The world around us needs us to act like men. Not a toxic version of masculinity, but, but you have, a, you have a, a, a vision for what it means for us to be good men. Lord, I pray that you would help the men in this room. Continue to help me, God. I need your help. I need others. Lord, I, I wanna grow in this. I want us to continue to grow in this. And Jesus, we, we, we just use our imagination for a moment to think about how different the cultures that we represent in this room could be if, if we if we really got serious about this. Not just a breakfast here and there, but if we got serious about this, the thriving, the, the, the blessing, the safety, the security that the men in this room would bring to those around them, God, may it be so. May it be so, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.